stop me if you've heard this one before. The Carolina Hurricanes put in a complete effort with contributions from up and down the lineup to absolutely dominate the New Jersey Devils inside of PNC Arena and embarrassing them on the national stage. Is the series over? Of course not. You just heard Bon Jovi. We're only halfway there. We're living on a prayer. But I tell you what, take my hand and baby will make it, I swear. It's a great time to be a hockey fan in Raleigh. There were, real thing, there were so many goals that I will not be able to play all of them in this episode. That's real. That's a real thing that happened. But without further ado, let's get into it. Roll the thing. Welcome to Home Ice Advantage, with historical perspectives, modern-day deep dives, special guests, and a healthy mix of good, bad, and or hot takes. This is the best place for you to learn about your Carolina home games. I just want to say thank you, and I'm looking forward to this challenge. It's an honor, and I think we're going to do great things. In Game 1, the Carolina Hurricanes absolutely dominated the Devils in the first period. I think we all remember they only had one shot on goal. It was basically a nothing shot, but hey, Freddie played it, so it counted. And that's not what happened in the first period of Game 2. While the Devils did create some offense early into the period, the wide majority of their offense was created off a 5-on-3 power play handed to them by the officials. Not saying the officials did a poor job. Just saying that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have gotten a 5-on-3. We move on. Carolina recovers in the final 10 minutes of the first period, and we go into the first intermission with two goose eggs on the board. Importantly, Carolina would start the second period on the power play thanks to a call against Siegenthaler for interference against Nason. And, you know, our power play isn't amazing. It's been a lot better in the playoffs. And historically, the numbers are much better than we admit, including me, who has bagged our power play for a very long time. But just a minute and 35 seconds into the period, still on the power play, the New Jersey Devils penalty kill mess up. There's no better way to describe it, except they messed up. All four of their players were either on the far boards or were close enough to touch the far boards. Yasperi Kakanyemi was left all alone on the other side of the ice, wide open, all of the space he needs to create a lane, find his shot, and execute. And that's just what he did. Kakanyemi, shot by Stasny, the flex to the far corner. Drury is on it for Carolina. Battling with Bastion. And, you know, we all know what we're thinking here. One goal is great. Fourth goal, important. But you're not going to beat the New Jersey Devils based off of one power play goal. So, what are we going to do? We have to score again, obviously. And... 
yay us, we still have a whole period to do it. But your Sperry, your Sperry takes a lot of dort, guys. It takes a lot of dort about his offensive play, which I think is mainly unfounded. But, two minutes and 23 seconds of game action later, Jesperi says, hold my beer. Hamilton and Martin came together. Martin with a hit behind the net on Schiegenthaler. Battle for the puck, Corkening Emmy, win it! And this goal is exactly the type of goal this line is supposed to get. Jordan Marnock's being a menace, uh, mainly to Dougie Hamilton, which we're fine with, no longer here. And it, I, I don't even understand how it all came together here, and I'll explain why. So Marnock, being a menace, is taking on two devils. Yes, Foss comes up in a bumper position, because like, yo, uh, he needs help. It's two on one, let's get control of this puck. And... I can't tell it's Dougie, another Devils who number I can't see, and then Faust and Marnuk all fall to the ice with the puck just gliding towards Cock and Yimmy, who's in front of the net. Cock and Yimmy, obviously good at the sport he's dedicated his life to, collects the puck and deposits it, glove high, just barely beating Schmied to put the Canes up 2 1 and to put himself on Hattie Watch. Just all around a fantastic goal from this line that is supposed to grind and create opportunities, and that's exactly what they did there. Now again, New Jersey is not a bad team, so they start to push back, and Frederick Anderson is... Frederick Anderson so far in this series, his third game in a row of only allowing one goal in, and he's doing a good job. He's, he, again, he's going to stay in the net for a while here, uh, at least until something bad happens, or Ranta just needs some ice time to stay fresh. But, with less than three minutes left in the game, Jordan Stahl, Jordan stalls. Recovering the puck in his own defensive zone, passionate, passing it to Pesci, who then sends it up ice to Natchez, who's at the red line. Natchez gives it to Jack Drury, who's just in front of the blue line for the Devils' defensive zone. Jordan Stahl skates in the zone as Drury sends the puck up for him. Stahl is practically all alone. Backhand, forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, forehand. Schmied guesses a little bit too soon. Jordan Stahl is going to bury a chance if you give it to him. Canes go up. Three. Nothing. Puck cut off by Marino, and now it's Stahl with Carolina. Pesci puts the puck ahead. And now moving in with it. Backhand shot. Score! Hurricanes. Three unanswered goals in one period. Incredible. That's what you want to see, okay? If you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan, you want three unanswered goals in a period. That is absolutely anything and everything you can ask for and dream of. Except with just over a minute left in the game. Oh, left in the period, excuse me. Seth Jarvis decides, you know, I haven't scored this game. I don't know if anyone's been tracking that. So I'm going to go ahead and just rush the net, as I do. Because that kid is not afraid of anything. Let's see what I can do. 
no rush here. You've got a three-goal lead. You want to get to the end of the period like that. Wear him down a little bit and take the chance on the offense. Here comes Jarvis around Marino. Backhand shot, score! Now, if you watch the game, you already know how this story ends. But, and I, let me preface this with, I could totally be wearing rose-colored glasses when it comes to it. I think it's a good goal. Yes, I realized that there was contact with Smead from Jarvis. That is 100% true. That happened. I would ask why Seth Jarvis was pushed so deep into the blue paint. Because while he will rush it, don't get me wrong, he's also not stupid. He's very good about getting there without crossing the line for goaltender interference. But it's Marino who has his arm over Jarvis's shoulder trying to get a stick in front of him that really leaves Jarvis with no choice but where to go into the paint, hitting Schmid, leading to the goal. But, again, we all know how this one ended. There's no goal on the play. Incidental contact with the goalie. Yeah, Jarvis did make... Whatever. Okay? Like, you're already up 3-0. No reason to really argue or care about losing this goal except that Seth Jarvis deserves a goal for the effort. But I guess we'll go into the second intermission, only up by three, and, you know, it's just something we have to live with. You know, you're not going to always be able to get the back-breaking fourth goal of a period. C'est la vie. Oh, shit, really? Damn. Rules it up the boards. Natchez, headman pass, and Schmid gives a right back to Jarvis who raises it off the goalpost. Costas bear across. This was an absolutely insane sequence. Martin Natchez in the neutral zone passes up to Jacob Slavin, who has created himself space. Yes, the defensive defenseman Jacob Slavin, who has been everything in this series. Jacob Slavin, no, in the entire playoffs, Jacob Slavin has looked like an offensive defenseman. And that man is not. I just, for anyone who doesn't know, he is not an offensive defenseman. That is not what we pay him for. But Slavin gets into the zone by himself on a breakaway. Schmid comes out to play the puck because he kind of has no choice here. And he actually does get it away from Slavin. But where he hits it, it goes right back on Slavin's stick. Like, almost immediately. Slavin tries for the sharp angle shot. Fortunately, he doesn't get it. It bounces off the post. It happens. If he was an offensive defenseman, he would have buried it. But of course, again, he's not. He's a shutdown defenseman. So it bounces back up towards almost going out of the zone, but it's fine because Ghost is there. Ghost recollects it and then uh, near the near board, sends it to Martin Natchez in between the two circles. Natchez goes to take the shot, but can't quite get a handle of it while it's in between his skates. Takes a second, resets, collects the puck, puts it on net, and scores. That's how the second frame comes to an end in this one. An absolutely electric period from the Hurricanes, who know that if they want to win, everyone has to contribute. Everyone has to grind. And that's exactly what they did in that second period, and that's exactly how they went up for nothing. Unfortunately, the shutout for Frederick Anderson won't last long into the third period. 
3 minutes and 49 seconds into the period, Miles Wood pits New Jersey on the board. Frederick Anderson gives up his ceremonial one goal of the game. It's all fine. Canes are up by 4-1. It is still their game to lose. Then Jordan Marnock scores on a breakaway. Yes, I said Jordan Marnock scores on a breakaway. He doesn't do it often, but he has that talent. Then Stefan Nason, assisted by Sebastian Ajo, extending his current point streak to five games, I believe. And that's the end of the game. Hurricanes win 6-1. With the Carolina goals in the third, as the Hurricanes We're going to head downstairs really quick, hear from the head coach, and then we'll come back to talk about why I think this is different than the Rangers last year, when the Hurricanes went up 2-1, still ended up losing a series, and I'll explain why it's absolutely different than the first round series of the Devils against the Rangers, where the Rangers went up 2 to nothing to start the series, and then much like Carolina last year, lost in 7. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The first voice you'll hear is Corey Laviolette of the North State Journal and Athletic. Brad, I know uh, everybody likes fancy goals, but how much as a coach do you like those first two goals where you really see guys kind of outwill their players to, to create goals? Man, you'll take them any way you can get them at this time of year, but um, yeah, I mean, it's... Both teams working hard, and we get you know we're we're able to get the bounces on those. But you're right, it starts with some, you know second and third efforts, which you have to have, and you know, we had a lot of good contributions from everybody tonight. And that's what's uh, we talked about it all playoffs. That's what we need to continue to have. Frederick Anderson continues to show why he belongs in net, even though Antiranta has also played a great postseason so far. Early on in the game. He is the only reason there wasn't a lead, excluding a post on Dougie Hamilton, who has hit two posts so far this series. But Freddie, at every big moment we needed him tonight, absolutely shut down New Jersey's offense, being a brick wall, excluding, again, his one ceremonial goal of the game. This is what his head coach had to say about his performance. You know, they were coming, and then we get a couple penalties and a five-on-three portion of it, and just... You know, the game's totally different if uh, you know they get one there. And huge saves, right? It wasn't just our kill was okay, but we gave up a lot, and they hit the post on one. And um, but Freddie was there really all night. Like it was never really um, a time where he wasn't, you know, having to make some saves. So that was the difference for sure. Switching over to Cock and Yemi, he did not appear on, well, he didn't score any goals in the first round against the New York Islanders, but now he has three goals in two games, and if you ask him, it's not because of his play, it's because of his line mates, and Jesper Faust and Jordan Martinuk. Uh, I mean, you know, feels good, uh, especially when you play with Marty and Quickie, you get a lot of, lot of puck in the slots, so uh, you just need to be aware all the time when the, when the puck is coming, so uh, yeah, they make my job pretty easy there. A lot has been made about Jordan Marnock's season, where he literally started it on waivers so the Hurricanes could try to save a little bit of cap space early on. And now he's been, uh, not prolific, it's not God-tier type stuff, but Jordan Marnock has been noticeable in basically every single game the Hurricanes have played after Game 82 this year. 
fans in Raleigh aren't terribly surprised by Jordan's level of play or even his breakaway goal tonight, but people who don't watch him all the time definitely are. And this is what he had to say after the game tonight in his post-game press conference. Uh, no, I, I since what was it, game six against the Islanders, I felt like I've been all over it. And last game, I had my chances. And, um, yeah, obviously tonight I was getting my chances. But then, uh, yeah, to get the breakaway, I just uh, – I, I liked that shot. So um, I got a piece of them but still went in. So, yeah, it's uh, – Take it, get, get, hopefully uh, keep, it, keep it going here. The next voice you'll hear is Chip Alexander from Raleigh's News and Observer. Marty, just, I was just wondering, which is more vintage, Martin, the, the crash in on the forecheck like that, the setup kick, or the breakaway in the, in the top shelf? I'd say the, cra- the forecheck one for sure. Uh, I think you can probably count on one hand how many breakaways I've had as a hurricane. But um, No, it's... Uh, Playing with Quickie and obviously KK, it, it's we're we're trying to play heavy and grind it out. And um, Quickie's got an unbelievable motor on him, and um, I feel like I do too. So it's if you can get in first on the four check and try and and just keep pucks in there, and and I don't know, that's what that's what we're doing. We're trying to grind them down. We know how skilled this team is, and when if you're one and done, then. It's, they're getting out clean, then you're you're chasing them on the way back, and you, you can see you see their chances they get. It's it's transition, and they're pulling up, and um, yeah, we're it, it's it's definitely a key for us is to try and play down there as much as we can and, and just grind it out. The first three, four, five minutes of this game were evenly matched. Neither team had really gained momentum. New Jersey was trying to push back after the five-one loss in Game One, and. Carolina was trying to set back up their momentum from game one. It wasn't until Carolina got called for the first penalty on Jesper Faust and then the second one on Jordan Marnock that things got dangerous for Carolina. New Jersey created a ton of offense on the 5-on-3, and again, Freddie Anderson stood on his head and kept the game alive. But after that, after they killed off that 5-on-3, Carolina roared to life. And this is what Joe and Marnock had to say about it. Yeah, I, they obviously they came out quick, and um, yeah, I, I didn't even see quickies, and then obviously mine. That's a well, that's a oopsies, but um, yeah, our our kill's been kill's been great, and to be able to get that killed off, it uh, it does give you a boost, and I think you can see it once once we got that killed off, and we. I, we calmed down a little bit and got going, and then I felt like our period after that was was really good. From here, I, we, we just got a couple things to talk about, and then I'll let you go to enjoy your Saturday and get ready for Sunday's puck drop. It's an afternoon game, everyone. So the big question here is, Caroline's up 2-1 in a series that was supposed to be a close series, if you listen to pundits, and even if you listen to me, I'm predicting a Canes and Six series. So why is it different than the Rangers last year, where the Hurricanes would ultimately go on to lose Game 7 after winning the first two games of the series? Well, Carolina has been producing. That was the big problem last year. All of those games, including the two that Carolina started off the series with a win, were close. They were one goal contest until Game 7. So Carolina being able to outscore New Jersey early on in the series is a great sign for long-term 
projections. Putting up five to one, yeah, sure, it's not like the most incredible thing of all time, but it shows that everyone is contributing, that everyone is rolling, and that Carolina has a good chance of coming out of this series victorious and moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. So you jump to, well, New Jersey started off last series, their first round opponent against the New York Rangers, down two games. In fact, they lost those two games very similarly sorry, how, to how they lost these two games. They lost game one 5-1 to one, and game two 5-1 to one again. So, yeah, when Carolina beats them 5-1 to one, and then 6-1, to one, New Jersey fans are going to say, well, this is where we want them. This is the exact position that we wanted them in. We've done it already. We can do it again. And besides the, like, drinking of the Kool-Aid that is, like, fans doing that, which I understand, Hurricanes fans do the very same, you never want to do that. What type of insanity is it? Is Well, you know, we, we only play well when we're down two games in a series. Like, what? That That's insane. But it's also a different circumstance. New Jersey lost those two games in MSG to open up the series. I'm sorry, lost two games at the Rock to open up the series against the Rangers because they weren't prepared for playoff hockey. And that's not supposed to be an insult. It's that the Rangers are a young team. I'm sorry, New Jersey is a young team. And they don't have a ton of playoff experience on that roster. So when they went up against the Rangers, it was, oh, we need to figure out how to play playoff hockey. We need to figure out how to win these games grinding. Because that's what's needed in the postseason. And eventually they recovered and, you know, wins an MSG galore and there you go. But that's not what's happening in these first two games against Carolina. They're not learning how to play in the playoffs. They've done that. They've proven they can do that with a first round win, which I didn't see coming. I personally think this team is too young. They haven't paid their dues yet and they need more time. Anything's possible, of course. But that's what I believed going into the playoffs and that's what I still believe now. So what is so special about Carolina's wins? It's that Carolina is a defensive juggernaut, which is not what the New Jersey Devils had to deal with against the Rangers. It's also not something you can learn to play off of because of the style that New Jersey plays themselves. What are they going to do? They don't have the defensive talent to sit back and try to duel us like the Islanders did. Even if they did, they would be much worse than the Islanders are at that play style, and we already beat the Islanders. I'm not saying, you know, Canes and four here. I still don't think it'll be a sweep. I'm sticking with my Canes and six prediction. I wouldn't be shocked if it was a Canes and five, but a Canes and six is where I'm staying. Because ultimately, I don't think New Jersey's going to be able to figure out how to score as many goals as it looks like they're going to need to score each game to beat Carolina. They just don't have the defensive agreement to keep Carolina off the score sheet while ranking up goal, racking up goals themselves. If you've listened to, well, game one, I said that Carolina was always due a defensive shutdown game, which was true. And New Jersey was also due a just offensive blowout, which is still true. I still think they're going to do that. But I now don't think that it's going to be like a 6-1 New Jersey victory where they can just grind it and Carolina's not going to be able to generate offense because New Jersey's generating too much offense. 
I think if there's a game where New Jersey scores five goals, it's going to be like a 5-4 victory for New Jersey or a 6-5 victory for New Jersey because the defensive game in New Jersey just isn't there. That's what this comes down to. They can't defend almost at all. And, like, I love this roster, of course. I respect every player on this roster. Jacob Slavin almost scored on a breakaway. With a, again, with a sharp-angled shot that, like, legitimate scorers could have sunk. It just so happens he's a shutdown defenseman, but he still created the opportunity for himself, and Omar scored. John Marnock scoring on the breakaway, not really supposed to happen. Kakanyemi scoring two in one game, not really supposed to happen. That's not his role. I know people in Montreal, oh my god, well, don't you guys want him to do 60 goals? No, we want him to replace Jordan Stahl. That's not Jordan Stahl's role either. That is a that is a future Selkie contender, sir. So, I don't think New Jersey is going to be able to win this series. I don't think they're going to be able to come back from the 2-0 deficit. I could be wrong. Maybe they come back to rally for Game 5, tied the series at 2. Maybe they come back, Carolina stole the game. I don't know. Maybe Carolina does win in 5, um, does win in 4, and for the second series against New Jersey in a row, they clinch the series at the Rock in Newark. We'll have to wait and see. But I honestly do not foresee New Jersey being able to figure out their defensive game enough to be able to shut down Carolina. Nor do I think that their offense is really good enough to embarrass Carolina, which is what they would need to do to be able to win a game 5-1 or, you know, 5-0. I would also point to the Game 3 victory where New Jersey turned the tables on New York was an OT 2-1 game. No offense here, but uh, Carolina's better at overtimes than New Jersey. That's why we won the Metro, is because we were more effective in OT. Not early on in the season. Early on in the season, we were complete garbage. But as the season went on, Carolina got much better in overtime. And then we, I, we were the second best postseason playoff team in NHL history. Facts. So even if somehow, magically, the Devils are able to keep the scoring low at the Rock and take us into overtime, the chances of them pulling out that win and shifting the momentum their way after a hard-fought game and whatever, whatever the storyline would be, is still very low. I think everyone knows here that I'm not one to count my eggs before they've hatched. I get it. This series is nowhere near over. We are only halfway there. But things look very good for Carolina because of Thor play style. And things do not look well for the Devils because they don't really know how to play a defensive game. And Carolina is capable of shutting down their offense. As always, thank you for listening to Home Ice Advantage. I'm not going to ask you to share the show this, to this episode. Instead, go to whatever app you're listening on, hit the share icon, copy the link. You don't even have to do anything with it. That will still help the show. You don't have to do anything with it. Just put it in your clipboard. I mean, you still should share it with someone. But, you know, to each their own. I will see you after Game 3 on Sunday. And until then, go Canes.